Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge. And that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com course. Hi everyone, this is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Hi there, and welcome to my show, The Ship No One Tells You About Writing. I'm your host, Bianca Murray. Today's guest is an award-winning British actress, writer, and producer committed to creating quality, hard-hitting, and issue-driven content. Her films have been invited to over 100 film festivals worldwide, including screenings in New York, Moscow, Sydney, and Toronto. Her feature film, Solitary, which she wrote, produced, and starred in, won 16 festival awards and opened both the Chelsea Film Festival in New York and the London Independent Film Festival, where it won Best UK Feature. In addition to her on-camera work, she is also an award-winning narrator, having lent her voice to numerous titles spanning genres such as fiction, fantasy, and drama, and including works by New York Times bestselling authors. As a writer, she has created and performed stories with Snap Judgment Live and the Road Theatre in Los Angeles. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Catherine Lee McEwen. 
And besides all of those amazing qualifications, I'm especially partial to Catherine because I was lucky enough to have her as the audiobook narrator for both of my novels. She played Robin Conrad in Hum If You Don't Know the Words and Ruth in If You Want to Make God Laugh. And she did such an amazing job of both that I constantly have people reaching out to me to tell me how much they adored the audiobooks. So Catherine, you have fans across the world. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to narrate both of those books. I really appreciate you saying that and trusting me with your words. So listening to somebody like you do an audiobook, you make it sound so easy. And I know that sounds really stupid to say because, of course, you're a professional actor. But what we forget when we listen to audiobooks is that you are a professional actor and you are acting and you are not just reading. And because you make it look so easy, there's been times that I have read from my own work, expecting it to sound like you. And of course, it's all stuttery and stammery and it's awful. And even worse, I hate the sound of my own voice. So starting a podcast was a really bad idea. The amount of time I have to spend listening to my own voice. How do you prepare for your audiobook roles? Well, first to speak on what you said about you having to read your own work, I'm sure it's a lot more nerve wracking uh, having to read your own writing. And we also have the benefit of, um, I'm sure you do that when you go on tours and stuff, but we have the benefit of being inside a studio and it's a little enclosed environment. They make it very vibey and it's kind of low light and, you know, they create a creative space for you or you if you do a self-record, you create one for yourself. It doesn't matter if you stumble. We stumble and stammer all the way through, and then that just gets edited out. So I just wanted to say that. But, yeah, the preparation, we read that you, you usually, hope, hopefully if you have time, you do your first read, and you pull out all of the characters, your main character, like the main voice, and their ages and their accents. So the first thing you're going to look for is what accents are required of you. And of course, you know, you try to do the best possible accent each time. Sometimes you, you know, not every act is brilliant at every accent, but you will listen to it or learn it if you need to, and then give an approximation or a flavor of it. And then ages and tone. I always try to get an idea of the tone that the author is going for and the world that they've created. And then the most important thing for me is the emotional response, because it isn't about what books, you know, you like personally reading. It's about having this piece of work and allowing your emotional response to, you know, to, to have an emotional response to it and then let it carry you into the world, into the author's imagination. And that often does influence the tone and it influences the way that, you know, you read it. That's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> she's like all right enough move on let's just break that down a bit further um, many beginner writers get confused between the voice of a piece and the tone of the writing so the voice could be the narrative voice so let's say your story or your book is being narrated by a particular character then that narrative voice needs to sound like that character, the way they would speak, perhaps their word choice. Let's say you're writing from the perspective of someone who's in their 90s and they were a professor their whole life. Obviously, the character voice would be formal. The diction would be precise. All of that would have to be consistent with that kind of person. But if you're writing a novel and let's say you're writing it in the third person and you as the author 
are the narrator of the piece, then that narrative voice would perhaps be your voice as a writer. You're just trying to get out the way and let the story unfold without letting too much of yourself in there. Unless, of course, you're writing a memoir and then you do want your voice in there. So that's what we talk about narrative voice. But tone in writing is different and many writers conflate the two. So if you're writing a novel or a short story, whatever the case may be, is tone has got to do with the attitude in which you're writing the piece. So you could be writing a novel that's quite defeatist and mournful. The whole piece is about how there's no purpose to anything, how we kind of wake up in the morning and we go about our days and then we die. I mean, not not a very cheerful piece, uh, but that is the attitude of the piece. But again, if you're writing some kind of self-help book or if you're writing something uplifting and positive, then that needs to be the attitude of the piece. So your attitude towards what you're writing also needs to come through in the writing, not just the narrative voice, but certainly the tone of the writing needs to come through as well. You know, and tones include pessimistic or optimistic, a kind of sincerity, a hypocritical. It could be very satirical or sarcastic. There are so many different examples of tone in literature, and that's something you need to be aware of. But now when we talk about the emotional response that a reader has, what Catherine just said is, is hugely important because again, Again, when we write something, we want our readers to have some kind of emotional response to it. So whether we want them to feel anxious or tense or whether we want them to feel sad or we want them to feel uplifted, there definitely has to be that emotional impact. And this is something that Jill Santopolo and Miriam Altshuler spoke about in the very first episode, how Jill would submit work to Miriam and Miriam would say, in this scene, you should be crying. The reader should be crying and I'm not feeling it yet. So so always have those second readers in which you are saying to them, this is how I would like you to feel at this precise moment in the story. Are you feeling this? And if you aren't, well, then, you know, you as the writer have to go back and do more work on it. Catherine, when I write, I kind of inhabit the character. So I've spoken to tons of writers who say that they see their characters from the outside as if they were watching them on a screen. But for me, when I write, I kind of climb into the character's body and I become the character and I see the world from the inside out, which is kind of how I imagine it must be for an actor when you're inhabiting a role. Is it something similar? For me, it is. And I'm sure every actor has a different process. And I have to say that's very apparent in your work. If for me, when I read the characters, especially uh, Ruth, I just love Ruth. Ruth is still with me. Uh, Robin is wonderful too. Just that freedom that you wrote Ruth with, that she was so flawed and so complex and so complicated and just fought for it, just always fought for the truth or her version of the truth and was able to discard old beliefs and come back to a, a, a different way. She was just such a fighter. And I really felt like I could feel that you inhabiting her because she was written with such honesty and such rawness. Um, but anyway, that was an aside. Um, I do the exact same thing. Try to 
you know, imagine what they're going through and how they're feeling. And that's why I act, because I love to do that. That's my passion is to take a character and to get into their shoes and to see the world through their eyes and to have their experience and to learn then about the world through acting and through these characters' emotional journey and live in their world and inhabit their world. So that's definitely something I strive to do. They say that actors and writers live, you know, hundreds of lives through the characters, whether they're writing them or whether they're acting them. And you said that's why you act and that's exactly why I write. It's to live all of these lives that I wouldn't get to live otherwise. So the creative process is so similar. You know, I know you do writing as well. Mm -hmm. And something that happens with me is when I go on tour and I have to give readings of my own work, I'll stand up in front of people. And as I'm reading it, I actually begin editing it because I'm like, oh, crap, this would have actually worked better as this. Does your writer's brain ever read something while you're narrating and and want to kind of fix something awkward or, or not? Are you able to separate that? That's a really good question. I must never have done that because I've never experienced it. Yeah, and I don't do it with other people's work. If if I read other people's work, I don't feel the need to edit it. But when I read my work, I'm like, why did I use that word? It's so clunky. And then I begin to edit it as I'm reading it. To speak on that, that's a very interesting distinction between a screenplay and, an, and a book. Often your writer, if they're on set or in the first read of a screenplay, they'll say, hey, if that sounds hard to say, say something else. It's a blueprint, right? It's a it's something that you're bringing other actors in who are going to say your words. And but an author like the I can't bear to think about it too much because when you think God, they will have sweated and struggled over every sentence. It's like bleeding on the page. I think it would be lovely as a writer to have that collaborative process because you know when you write a novel, it's so solitary. And like you say, you can spend mm-hmm. honestly a whole day over one bloody paragraph. That by the way, your editor will probably end up cutting during editing anyway that's the the part of writing that I I think would be so much fun if we actually got to hear somebody reading our words while we were writing and and collaborate a bit and just stopping there Catherine something that I would like to say as well is that reading your work aloud is so important for you as emerging writers it helps you pick up words that you perhaps repeat a lot of the time it helps you get into the rhythm of the language and it makes you immediately realize what shouldn't be there, what isn't quite working, if the pauses work and and all the rest of it. So always read your your work aloud as if you were the audiobook narrator of your work because there's a lyricism that comes through in reading your work aloud that never comes through when you're reading it in your head. And that's exactly why I want to edit my work so much more when I'm reading it to an audience than when I'm sitting and proofreading it in my head to myself. And in terms of what we just said, in terms of collaborating when writing, we have an upcoming episode in a few weeks' time in which I interviewed two writers who work together and write one novel together as a team. And that fascinates me hugely because I'm a more solitary writer. But for those of you who are interested in collaboration, look out for that episode as we get into the nitty gritty of how you would do a novel 
with two authors instead of one. Catherine, you have written award-winning screenplays. In terms of people who are interested in screenplays, how difficult is it to get a screenplay produced? I mean, I have no experience whatsoever with screenplays, and I know that we'll have some listeners who'll be super interested in that side of it. I actually, I've produced several films, and then I've written the one feature film that got produced. I was very lucky, Solitary, which was a deeply personal story, and it was a very, it was quite a monumental task. And I was very, very fortunate that one of my dear friends wanted to get into acting, and it was her husband. She said he's willing to invest in a film that I'm that I would like to be in. Do you have any screenplays? And I said, yes, I've written this screenplay, Solitary. It's quite dark. It's a a family drama. And so I showed it to her and she loved it and we made it. So that was a very, it was an example of one private investor who basically said to us, make whatever film you like. Whereas I think it depends on how you write. If you write a screenplay on spec, which is like what I did, I wrote it without any idea whether or not it was going to be made. And then you could take it to, you could shop it around town to see if somebody wants to option it and then uh, produce it. We were just very lucky because we both wanted to be in it and we got to make the film that we wanted. So despite it being flawed, you know, I look back at it now and like you, I'm like, oh, I could have done this and that and that. And maybe if we'd have had this cast member, it was very lucky that we got to do that. And we got to have that experience. Um, My husband's a screenwriter and each script has a definitely has its own journey. I have friends that write for hire where they get, you know, hired to write a screenplay from either a series like a book series or from a production company and the production company owns that script and they take it and make it and then might get an on-set visit or you get creatives that are very involved in that process and they're either producers too or directors or actors and then they write their screenplay and they're with that screenplay all the way through to the end it really depends on obviously like I was listening to your other uh, episodes so great the great agent if you have a great agent as a screenplay writer I'm predominantly an actor I am writing on uh, working on something else but a great agent will take your script around and shop it about and hopefully get eyes on it I don't think it's going to be that different from writing a book to be honest in the sense of having a great rep that rep having great relationships with production companies, which I guess would be your publishers, and then, you know, getting the right eyes on it and it being, you know, like what Jane Green was saying, like something about it is timely and it hits and it's, you know, current. And then an actor reads it and they love it. And it's this series of events that kind of fall into place. We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. 
Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one month language course. Think about the cost of one hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page and please spread the word the more writers we have signed up the better the matches will be timing is so incredibly important you know luck luck and timing there have been people that I've studied with that I've known in writing groups that have written the most amazing amazing novels and they are so much more talented than I am and yet you know through bad timing or bad luck they just haven't had their work published and that's the part that can be so Mm -hmm. utterly heartbreaking but I suppose if you get the right timing and you ride that wave it can be absolutely wonderful to have work picked up because it is timely. As something else that I've thought of is that screenwriting for me would be so specialized. I know a whole bunch of writers who've had their novels picked up and that have been made into films or made into TV shows. And many of them then insist on writing the screenplay themselves, not having any screenplay experience. And I really take my hat off to them. I think it was a Tina Fey statement that said, you know, if you get asked to do something, just say, yes, you know how to do it. And then you figure it out afterwards. It's kind of their fake it till you make it. But I, um, yeah, if if I was ever lucky enough for that to happen, I feel like I would have a specialist screenwriter adapt the novel because I just feel they're very, very different forms. They are. And in the sense that there's certain things that you would put in a screenplay, right, for the first AD or assistant director when they're breaking it down. So you'd need to write exterior, the time of day or night, the location, you know, because so in that way, it's structured so that when they look at that script, they're like, okay, so we have 
location number one, and this takes place at night. So we're going to shoot that on. So there's that element, right? That's just very technical where you don't need to do that. The other difference I think is that you have to think about if you write a scene and your character is climbing up the side of a building, you've now added on several million dollars to your film because that's quite hard to do. You need a stun double. So that in that way, it's different because in a novel, you can put your characters anywhere. But I think the sim- the, it's more similar than different in the sense you want great characters that we care about, that things happen to, that want something, and there's something in the way internally and externally in them getting it. You know, yes, there could be these rules that we hear with screenplays, like the main thing has to happen within the first 10 pages. or But then, you know, especially listening to the other episodes, I, I heard all of the things that you're told as a writer of a novel, the things that you need and you things that you have to have, have it happen and you know, possibly, then there are always the ones that break that, right? Yeah, for every rule, there's an exception. I I just, I think the reason it scares me is because I'm so wordy. I have never once written a sentence that I could not write in a whole bloody paragraph. So I think for me that, you know, a screenplay has to be so much more compact um, Mm -hmm. and succinct. Is, is the part that, that probably scares the crap out of me. Okay. So what was the toughest audiobook narration you ever had to do? I'm going to be absolutely honest. And this, is, this was tough for many reasons. Hum If You Don't Know the Words was probably the most challenging experience I've had. And I'm going to tell you why. It was incredibly rewarding. My mum's born and raised in South Africa, in Cape Town. And I grew up listening to very, very hard stories about what she experienced with apartheid and the pain and the scars of that. And she left when she was a teenager. And it was something that she raised us to be very sensitive to it and to be very aware of it. And she didn't sugarcoat anything. So I was always aware as a young girl, what was happening in South Africa and what it had been like for her, whose mother was very much fighting for the rights and very anti-establishment and anti-apartheid, which is why they had to leave, and how my mother suffered for that too, and the shame she felt where she sometimes wished that her mum was just, quote-unquote, not, you know, normal or just fitted in. So when that opportunity came through, I didn't have, like, a South African accent in my pocket, but I was like, I have to do this book because... South Africa is such a huge part of my life. I had been there and I still have family there. So then I was very worried about the accent. So I sent Janet, the producer who I love, she was my kind of got me into audiobooks. And I sent her this sample and I was in New York. It was on New York Times. It was very late at night. And I sent this sample and she's like, no, I, I hear the accent, but that's it. And I spent like two days sending these samples in and then trying something new. And then she said, just just forget the accent. I need to hear the story. And I remember being in New York and I was like upset and emotional. I really wanted the, this book. And I just opened the book to the page where Robin's friend's in hospital and he's been beaten up. It makes me really emotional. And I just read that paragraph and I sent it and I was like, I've tried my best. Like I'd spoken to my mom. I was like, how's my accent? She couldn't stop laughing. She was just like, I'm sorry, darling, but you just sound so funny. And I was asking my South African friends and then she said, yes. And I, she said, you're doing that book. And I, and I was very moved by the subject matter. It was subject matter that I felt this enormous pressure to take such care with. And it's a hard, she goes through some really hard stuff. You created 
a world that was really honest and really raw and really infused with humor and infused with joy and hope. But, you know, it was really hard to read that stuff, really hard to read the experiences and what was done to people. And it's very different if you do a South African accent for a sentence or two, right? There's a character that pops up in you. This was the narration of it. And you're using your lips and your teeth and your tongue, not your teeth, but your tongue and your mouth in a different way. So the fatigue is very different because I'd never narrated in a different accent. Uh, thank you for that. I remember getting your audition when you read that hospital scene and I cried my eyes out. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy because I've read that so many times. I mean, when you editing a book, you read the same things over and over that they start to lose the emotional impetus that you wanted it to have. And I heard that and I got goosebumps. Two things that I'd like to say about what Catherine just said. One is how much these characters went through. And this is something as writers that we need to think about. We need to keep throwing obstacles at our characters. And of course, the more time you spend as a character, the more likely you are to just want to make things easy for them because you like them and you hate torturing them. But it's our jobs as authors to make really, really interesting characters, engaging characters that the reader immediately feels that they relate to, that they can get on board with. And then it's our job to torture them, to throw as much of them as we possibly can to give them something that they desperately, desperately want, and then to keep stopping them from getting it. Because as much as in real life, we'd like to have a life in which everything runs smoothly and everybody gets along, it doesn't make for good fiction. So whatever work in progress you're busy working on, think about these characters at the beginning. Think about all the obstacles you can make them face. Think about all the adversity you need them to overcome and torture them a little bit as well, because that's that's what makes for turning the pages and interesting storytelling. And the other thing that Catherine has said there is balancing really hard themes with humor wherever possible. You know, there's a lot of talk about trauma porn in literature, which is trauma kind of for the sake of trauma. And that's not what I'm talking about when I say make them suffer. There needs to be something in it that characters kind of overcome, that they learn and grow from, and that affects their story arc. Because remember, whoever your character is at the beginning of the novel, they have to change drastically by the end of the novel. If your character stays the same by the end of the novel, I'd dare to say you don't have a very good story. Uh, whatever you throw at your characters, they need to be changed by. They need to learn and grow and open up emotionally. And you also don't want just that trauma aspect of a book. If you look at books like A Little Life by Hanya Yangira, I love that book, but in some reviews that was a criticism, that it was trauma porn, trauma for the sake of trauma. And for me, what I want to do in my novels is I want to portray things as they are. And for many people in South Africa during apartheid, their lives were absolutely awful. What they had to endure was just mind-boggling. But at the same time, I wanted to show that in people's lives, in between all this trauma, there's these moments of levity. In fact, I would put it to you that the more people suffer, the more humor they will find in their everyday life because they have to counterbalance that suffering. And so if you're writing something that deals with a lot of heavy themes and a lot of heavy topics, think to yourself if it's possible at certain points to integrate humor into that. Because the reader, after a very intense emotional scene like the one Catherine was talking about in which someone has been beaten up and 
they're lying there and potentially dying. The reader feels that very, very deeply. And when they walk away from that, they need some time to regroup and to take a deep breath and go, okay, I can, I can carry on with the story now. And sometimes putting something, one line that's humorous in there helps them catch their breath uh, and, and move on from what they've just experienced. Do you have advice for authors who publish independently? So we've got you know, you've got people who publish traditionally through the big publishing houses. Uh, that isn't always possible for all authors. Some authors prefer to publish independently. It gives them more autonomy and decision-making, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and more and more of them are thinking of doing their own audiobooks. Um, is it something that you would recommend people do themselves or at least try and do themselves? I know there's some authors like um, Jill Santapolo. She narrates her own audiobooks. She's narrated both of her own audiobooks. It's not something I would ever try at all. But is it something you would recommend some indie authors do? There are some great independent, I guess, audiobook outfits. There's one that my friend has just started, actually, for independent authors called One Night Stand. And um, she's a fantastic narrator and also a director of audiobooks. And she, I just heard about that. And she's doing that exact thing, right, where you can go to her as an author and be like, hey, I want to make an audiobook. I believe that it's either her or she hires narrators and then we'll do all of the post-production because it has to be recorded and then mastered and engineered and all of that. Any artistic endeavor, if you hire professionals, you're going to have a better product because it is really hard uh, to do really well. But I like anything, there's got to be a sliding scale so you're going to have like huge outfits that charge a lot of money for that and for the mixing and the engineering and the delivery of it and then you're going to have smaller more independent or maybe if there's a narrator that you love I've had um, authors reach out to me like on social media and be like hey can you narrate this and also do you have like a post-production person you work with and often as a narrator you will and so you do all the files and you send it to that you know to the post-production and all of those rates and negotiable. You know, you can negotiate your rate with the reader uh, and with the post-production house and I'm sure go on um, ACX. Yeah, and you could do that. And I would say go for it. It's great. People love hearing audiobooks. There's another way for readers to access your work. And some readers really like listening to it way more, especially with the accents, especially with multiple narrators. Like in if you want to make God laugh, sometimes readers get confused in the chapters. Oh, yeah depending on how point of view shifts. And at least when you're listening to it, it's very clear that, you know, it's a different character now and it's a different experience. Studios that you could go into where you could narrate your own. You know, if you'd written a book that you are passionate about narrating, you can rent studios specifically for audiobooks and go in and narrate it. And then they always know people to do post-production that could point you in the right direction. Yeah, some people have got lovely voices. Jill, I mean, both of her novels were romance novels. It was The Light We Lost, and um, she she did a fabulous job of it. I had to take my hat off to her. But yeah, the, for the rest of us, we need some help. Catherine, I'd like to hear what you're working on now. I'm writing a screenplay. I've, well, I've, I'm writing the, I'm developing it so I'm in the outline process um, and it's a crime drama and it's set in London. It's about a very tragic crime that happened to a friend of mine, which happened actually in America. But I'm going to take it as it's based on real life events and I'm putting it in London to have a little distance there. And yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's very different from my first film, Solitary, which, as I said, was this 
not small, but it was a family drama and my character's victories played out on a very small domestic stage. And this is much bigger and it involves a criminal element and police and journalism. So it's a lot bigger of a piece. And that's what I'm writing at the moment, which I'm excited about and hopefully we'll, you know, produce that next year. Ah, oh, Catherine, it's been so wonderful chatting with you. It's it's so surreal to have listened to you reading my work to me so many times and to finally get to see you on the screen and to get to talk with you. Thank you. It's It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for having me and for your amazing work as an author. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge. And that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it. Worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com course. Hi everyone, this is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. 
you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over, and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge, and that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com slash course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com slash course. Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on.